Welcome to the 13th episode of Season 2 of Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by two-time MVP Stephen Curry. One of his more absurd stats this season, he's hit 13 of 26 shots from 30 to 34 feet from the basket. I caught up with Steph after practice Wednesday about his revolutionary shooting range and his relationship with Kevin Durant, both on and off the court. And later, sports columnist Scott Osler. Stick with us, and we'll be right back after the break. Stephen Curry might not win another MVP this season, but he's been playing at an MVP level. We caught up Wednesday afternoon after practice. When did you really start practicing 30 footers? Honestly, I never really, it's never like an intentional practice, like I gotta go out here and practice cheaply threes, just a natural progression of uh, amount of time I spent in the gym when I got into the league and all that type of stuff, you kind of just stumble upon it. Yeah. Uh, I added to like one of my drills that I do, so it's not an everyday thing, it's just understand what it feels like to keep your rhythm from that far out and then in the game it just kind of comes out naturally but most of us when I got better shooting off the dribble just in general yeah. transition and stuff like that where the mechanics stay the same it's just a matter of feel wherever you want to take off and shoot from um, but the mechanics are like shooting off the dribble and having to control the ball control your balance and momentum and all that type of stuff. That was like my third year in the league. Okay. Got to the lockout when I knew that that could be a weapon. You could, you hit some deep threes in college and stuff, right? I mean, it, but it wasn't necessarily something you practiced actively until you were, you've been in the league. I had a little bit of range, but my, my junior in college is when I played predominantly point guard, so I got a lot right. more shots on the dribble. But it was never like... Yeah, off the top of my head, I don't remember like really stretching outside three-point line. NBA three and like where I'm shooting now. NBA three was kind of like the, the visual of it for a college guy. Yeah. Like, that's, that was, he's already ready for league yeah. games and all that type of stuff. We played on in some NBA arenas in college, and like I see the NBA line, and he's like, oh, that's not that far. And yeah. And all that type of stuff. There's other like the. The deeper range is kind of just a nice progression of uh, trying this stuff. What would you think of a four-point line? There's obviously been conversations about that. I hate it. You hate it? Why? Just because it would change so much. I mean, obviously, it would benefit me. Um, yeah. I shoot probably enough from that line. Uh, it seems like it would just change too much of like spacing and all that type of stuff in the game. Honestly, not that many people will shoot it consistently, so it kind of just, I think it would, maybe I'm hurting myself to say, yeah. Yeah. Me and a couple of people might have the leg up in terms of uh, using that as a threat. I think it just drug up the game a little bit. Right. You're obviously a guy who whose game subsists on rhythm. Do, can you kind of feel when, when, you, when, you're, when you can hit that 30-footer? Is it like... It, it, you know what I mean? Like, can you feel that zone coming off? Yeah, I probably don't. That's probably not my first shot of the game. Yeah. So it's usually coming after you make a couple or you're in rhythm, you get a rebound, your rhythm dribbles up the court. 
you kind of see how everything's developing, you know that that's going to be some space to shoot it. Uh, a lot of it's just confidence. Yeah. No matter where I take it, I, the shot, any shot I take, let's just say it's off balance, one second on the shot clock or something like that, I always feel like I will make it. Right. It's a surprise when I take it. Yeah. Um, it seems like you and KD are in as good of a rhythm with each other as you've been. Um, how, how do you feel like your relationship with KD has developed, not just on the court, but off the court? the past couple of years? Like, how, how have you, you gotten to know each other and away from the court? Well, the court has been great. That first year was kind of a lot thrown at us in terms of trying to balance you know, what we could bring to the table. We knew we would complement each other really well. The fact that the ball would move and everybody would get touches and stuff like that. After the first half of the year, we picked up a lot of momentum and understood how we could both be like a 10 out of 10 of our shows um, and not take away from what anybody else is doing but also bring the best out of each other. And that's only gotten better in terms of the chemistry, uh, understanding the flow of games and how to get each other going, um, whether we're on the court at the same time or not, which has kind of changed from time to time. Uh, off the court, it's, it's like one of those situations with me and the rest of the guys in terms of uh, we don't spend as much time together off the court as people might think. Right. Uh, just for a lot of different reasons. Got family and, uh, and stuff, right? But in terms of like I plugged in, but we all know what's going on with each other, supporting each other, like stuff that he's doing off the court. Um, I always make sure he knows that that stuff doesn't just fly under the radar you know, with our team. Like him as a human being and kind of uh, supporting that part of who he is is important to all of us and we all kind of bring that vibe to the table so for me and him uh, we do hang out whether it's on the road or whatever uh, it's pretty low-key and chill but yeah. uh, it's not an everyday thing like like when he has a new shoe dropping or something you might like c- congratulate him or you oh, kind of keep tabs that. on that kind of stuff yeah shows he's producing and the same thing goes for what I got going on we're in a locker room, like we're all in each other's business. So, uh, you guys obviously have different backgrounds, but you can probably relate to each other in a way that not a lot of people can, given that you're you know, at a level that not a lot of people are, and, and you, you're dealing with a lot of attention that a lot of people aren't dealing with. Do you feel like you can kind of relate to them in a, in a unique way? There's a mutual respect, for sure. I understand how, one, how hard it is to get to this level and sustain it. Um, but deal with, yeah, all the attention and everybody kind of dissecting everything that you do um, and then understand the responsibility that me and them have in terms of night to night we got to be at yeah. our best um, and we that's probably been the biggest thing this year in terms of conversations that we had on the court is how do we get to that level every night as fast yeah. as possible um, right. understand that we have the ability to do it how long have you known him? Do you remember when you first met him? Was it college? Back, or? No, it was back in early high school days. Really? AAU. Um, and then... Do you remember which tournament? Camp, no, it was a bunch of them. Yeah. Top 100 camp that the Players Association puts on. And, uh, it was at VCU, I think. His, my college, my high school, sorry, my high school coach coached his team at camp. 
So we talked to him a couple times there, got to know him. And then Team USA in 2010 when we uh, got to the league. It's the first time we actually played it together or against each other. Right. Together and against each other, really. Um, but in college, our freshman year, his only year, I was always measuring myself, like trying to catch right. catch him in the uh, points per game right. race. When he was one, I was two. And it was, uh, it was always fun to just keep tabs on him. Uh, and he's a is, is that part of why you were confident that this would work, that you guys playing together would work, just because you knew a little bit about who he was and how selfless he is, as a, not just as a player, but as a person? Yeah, just knowing the kind of character he has uh, from being around him, especially the World Championships in 2010, 2014. Uh, understanding that his game, his, his game would fit just because there was a role that we didn't have at the time. But it also that he was in search of playing, like, he, he always talks about playing good basketball, beautiful basketball, and everybody getting involved, and um, just having a high IQ, and understanding that he wants to be great, cares about how he plays, um, but that doesn't mean scoring 40 every night, that means yeah. just being dominant, and yeah. that, that would transition really well. He's obviously had to deal with a lot of speculation this season, everything, all the hype around everything with Draymond. As a friend, how have you kind of just tried to, like, be there for him when he's constantly being talked about and written about and, and that kind of stuff? There's nothing really you need to say. It's how you, how you start the journey off, which is important. Right? It wasn't just talk that there's team this, team that. Like, we're all in together. Like, that's how we develop this whole thing and so yeah, there's gonna be drama and ups and downs but if you don't have a solid foundation to begin with then that's there's nothing you can do to really repair that um, or support somebody who wants to do that so we understand he has a lot of uh, we only call it the haters or whatever you call yeah it. you can call it that the, the nonsense uh, noise around everything he does we have it as a team but in terms of internal situations, relationships, and all that type of stuff, um, you know what each other's about at our core and our foundation. Um, it helps us get through that type of stuff. What, what's kind of one of your just favorite memories of, of him that maybe we didn't see on the court, just like you guys hanging out or, you know, maybe something that is, we haven't seen in a game? could be just like hanging out or whatever or is there like something you guys like to do together or just talk about or inside joke or no it doesn't need to yeah i think it was mostly like i don't know the thing we probably did was like the whole nike under armor thing yeah where Like we used to hate on each other's shoes for like, probably a month straight. Anytime we had some new colors come in, something new was shit. You just give them shit. Hell yeah. Vice versa. <laughs> yeah. But now we laugh. Like, he's on his 11th shoe. I'm on my 6th. Yeah. And like, anytime we ask the equipment, or ER equipment manager, he'll go over and ask him, hey, he, 
you guys, can I get, can I get the new, uh, the new KDs? And I just look at him like, yo, you just called your own shoe. Like, is that talking to, technically talking to a third person? <laughs> It's weird, right? It's weird. Like, you don't do that, do you? No, I do. And you do? A, 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 so, he, and the next time I asked you for some Curry Sixes, he called me out on the same type of vibe. A little hypocritical? That's talking about like, stuff people don't necessarily know right. what it feels like in terms of our experiences. Right. That's, that's trivial, but it's hilarious. Yeah. Does he give you a hard time for not signing with Nike? Obviously, you had... I mean, you guys are past that at this point. Yeah, it never was that. We all make decisions that we feel like it's right for ourselves. So he of all people would know we all know that. Yeah. After chatting with Steph, I broke down our conversation with the Chronicles award-winning sports columnist Scott Osler and looked at how long the Warriors can keep up this winning streak. You know, I just got the chance to talk to, to Steph um, and... The, the thing that is incredible, and Steph and I talked a little bit about this, is he's shooting. Well, guess what Guess what he's shooting from, from 30 feet this season. <laughs> well, you told me already, so I'm going to guess yeah. about 50%. Which 50%. Is bizarre. He's 13 for 26, which, when you really think about it, is incredible because a 30-foot jumper is basically a shot that people will heave at the end of a shot clock. It's kind of a desperation thing usually, but it's become – a staple of his offensive game. And, you know, he was telling me that it wasn't something that he set out to do. His range is is so good that over the course of time, he gradually took another step back, another step back to the point where he was practicing that 30 footer. And it's, uh, it's insane. Do you, do you think that it has, do you think it might be the biggest asset offensive asset the Warriors have? Because you literally can't defend it, and it spaces the entire floor. Well, you said it. Exactly. I totally agree with it. There's nothing like it. There's nothing. It, it, it's made. Well, Kurt designed his offense around Steph when right. he came here. He, he said, I've got Steph. What can, how can I maximize him? And he figured out a way to get him set in a series of picks and all that stuff. But it's based around Steph's crazy range, which at the time was crazy. Now it's just completely insane. But their whole offense is spacing and moving and now they've just got all this it's like if you have a small house and all of a sudden you move into a giant house and like wow we got lots of room here so he's just made everything easier for everybody including you see it with cousins now able to shoot three pointers but with, with Steph out there just it just it ruins everything in every defense they face yeah and you mentioned cousins uh what have you what have you thought of his transition so far uh he had 22 the other night he had 12 points in a four-minute span in the fourth quarter with Steph and KD sitting out. Has he exceeded your expectations early, or is he where you thought he'd be? I knew his attitude was going to be good. I know we we all know the questions about his attitude in the past, and my suspicion was that it was going to be good. His attitude was going to be good because it had to be, because he's on trial and his future is at stake and all that stuff, so he's got to be on his best behavior. So I knew that. But one thing that impressed me is two things. One thing, how quickly he's fit into the flow. It doesn't seem like when he comes in there, oh, my God, it's all clunky now. It just doesn't work. Right. And also the sort of effort and enthusiasm he puts in. How many times have you seen him dive on the floor? How many times you see a 275-pound guy do swan dives on the floor to save a, a loose ball? And he's done that a few times. And I think that just goes a long, long way with that team. They just see the effort he puts in. 
I think the thing that surprised me is his defense has been better than I expected. Um, he's obviously been derided for having minimal defensive effort throughout his career. But the thing is, and it's kind of I kind of call it the KD effect because KD has all the potential to be an elite defender, but he hasn't necessarily been an elite defender just because he has so much burden offensively. And I think what you're seeing is he, since he has less pressure to be the guy over and over offensively, he's able to focus a little bit more on the defensive end and he's, you know, he's got good feet. He's got, you know, the lateral quickness is better than you might have thought given the fact that he's coming back from Achilles and he's a big body which is something the Warriors were lacking yeah and also this is an an infectious team in a lot of ways if you come and play here you you have to get into the joy and the spirit and the the running and the fun and all that stuff and you you also have to get into the defensive thing because they're big in defense so you can't come here and say yeah, I've never really played much defense, so that's my that's not my game, and I'm not going to play. You you gotta you gotta buy into the defensive thing, and I think he has, and I think he's probably gotten some. I haven't talked to Ron about it, but I'm I'm guessing he's probably gotten some pretty good instruction too. I bet he's learned things on defense here in a short time that he either didn't pay attention to or never learned before. So I, I agree, he's he's been kind of a surprise on defense. How fun is that Embiid Cousins matchup going to be <laughs> tomorrow? That's going to be fabulous because. You have not only the fact they're big trash talkers. I'm not ha- sure how Embiid is in this, but but Cousins, you know, he plays kind of angry. You know, he's, yeah. not, he's not out there jovi- jovial and having fun and stuff yeah. like that. He's got that edge on. So, along with the trash talk, that's going to be very interesting. And, and two great players. So that that's phenomenal. Two of the most skilled big men in the big men in the world. Yeah. Um, Embiid might be the most impressive big man in the league. Just he, he, I feel like he can do everything. And I know that's saying a lot because yeah. there's this guy named Anthony Davis who's pretty, pretty darn good. But the thing that I'm excited to watch tomorrow is to see how he does defensively. Because one thing I wrote when the Warriors signed DeMarcus was he's going to be an asset defensively because he's a better matchup for a Joel Embiid, a Joel Embiid yeah. for an Al Horford. I thought he actually did a pretty good job on Al Horford the the other night, and that he actually did decent even on an island at times in pick-and-roll situations with Kyrie yeah. um, because they don't have another 6'11", 7-foot guy yeah. who can just you know match that size and that athleticism. Yeah. And obviously with Damian Jones out, that's been a huge void for them. Yeah. Plus Cousins, it seems to me, is – He's still kind of the new kid in school, and he's still trying to prove himself. And I think he sees games like this and, and a matchup with Embiid as a chance to show his teammates that, hey, I'm one of you guys, and I can play with you guys, and I can help you out. And I think, I think he factors that in. I think he'll be extra jacked up because of that. The Warriors are now riding an 11-game winning streak, and as cliche as it is, they really do look unstoppable right now. I mean... Their offensive rating during this this seven, eleven game winning streak has been unbelievable. I think it's like one hundred and twenty five or, or something like that, which is video game type efficiency. Yeah. Um, and I, we obviously don't have a schedule in front of us, but how how realistic is it for them to challenge that twenty four game winning streak that seems, a couple of years ago? Seems pretty outlandish because, as you know, covering every game, they're just games. Even every great team has games every two weeks, every month, where they just come out and they got nothing. You know, right. it's just they've had a bad trip, they're not feeling it, whatever, and they just have nothing, and they get beat by a phoenix or somebody like that. It just happens, 
And for that to, for them to, to stave that off for another X amount of games, it, it seems, it's a lot harder. Than, to me, it's a lot harder than a lot of people are making it sound. They're making it sound like, oh, you know, you got Phoenix, you got a lot of easy games, and plus they're playing well. It's just not that easy. It would, if, they, I do, if they pull it off, it would be. I do think that integrating Cousins helps in that yeah, department. No question. Uh, Kerr said today that this doesn't feel like the late January, early February doldrums that they're used to feeling. You remember this time last year, I was writing every day about the complacency and they were just trying to get to the all-star break. And honestly, it was so boring. And this season, it just feels like there's so much energy, there's excitement, there's enthusiasm. And a lot of it has to do with DeMarcus because even though he's played five games now, they still need to get him up to 30 minutes. They still right. <laughs> need to, um, you know, kind of ease him into the rotation. There's still a lot of things they want to see and learn about that dynamic. Yeah. And I think that that is going to help prevent that quote-unquote letdown game yeah, that you're talking you, about. Okay. Uh, you know, if I was a fan, I'd, I'd actually be worried now and I'd be kind of sad. And the reason is I'd be thinking, this is great, but next year we're not going to have Boogie. Yeah, I, I think people are, would already start missing him because he's he's actually you know it's pretty it's been pretty quick, yeah. uh, and I I think he has surprised people and I I think people have adopted him as I, I, I can't speak for the players but right. I, I just talked to a lot of fans and everything I think fans have adopted Boogie Cousins as as one of their guys and no. and it's probably reciprocal like I I bet he feels. That. It's going to be really interesting. I mean, I'm looking way far ahead now, and which I hate to do, but <laughs> uh, you know, it does feel like a really good fit in a lot of ways. And I've talked to Demarcus's mom, I've talked to his brother, and everyone close to him has told me that he's as happy as he's ever been. Yeah. I think he really appreciates being one of the guys rather than the guy. Yeah. I think he felt a lot of pressure in Sacramento and even New Orleans, even though he was, you know, along with Anthony Davis, because literally it was just those two and everyone else, even though Drew Holiday is a pretty good player too. Um, And I think he just is enjoying that egalitarian ethos that the Warriors have. And it makes you wonder what are the realistic chances that he could come back next next season because don't mess with happy, right? And I know that the Warriors have said this is a one-year rental Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's a better chance of him coming back than than some people might think right now? Yeah, it's probably about a three or four percent chance now. <laughs> uh, you know, it wouldn't be. It's not preposterous. I don't know how much they can only give him. What five, six million? So they he's on a one year five point three million right. dollar deal right now. They they can only give him a twenty percent raise. So I think that right. gets him up to like six point three, six point four, or something. And what do you think his value on the market would be? 20 million, 25? He could, yeah. I mean, he could get probably, because he's looking, he doesn't look like the all-star to Marcus yet, but he's, it's realistic to believe that he'll get close to that. Um, I think he'll be able to triple his salary. Yeah, yeah, I think he could make in the $20 million range. Well, that's a lot of dough to leave on the table. It's a lot of dough, yeah. and then you, you think about it, and the unfortunate thing for the Warriors is they don't get his bird rights for another two years. Mm. So... You know, you give him a twenty percent raise, and then if he comes back, I think you have his, you have his early bird rights, and I believe you can give him like a seventy five percent raise, which still isn't even in the ballpark right, of what he right. could get elsewhere. And then after that, he could get a max deal. Right. So he would need to take a pay cut wow. for two more years 
what were you- to to get the money that he deserves to get. Well, we could and be- then by that point, he's thirty years old, right? And probably won't get a max deal. In in who right. you know who knows? He's right. got a guy Big coming guy like off that. an Achilles, right. six foot eleven, two hundred seventy right. pounds. You know, this might be his only opportunity to make money. So it just doesn't make any sense. But you gotta wonder, like, is you gotta think that if there was any possible conceivable <laughs> loophole, that the Warriors would find it and he would come back because he is happy right now. We we live in a fantasy world in sports, and that that's kind of a fantasy. But you see it with Tom Brady. I don't know what the figures are with Brady, but Brady leaves a lot of dough on the table that he could. He, he takes a lot lower salary so that the team can spend it on other things. David West took a huge hit. David West is like the all-time yeah. guy for taking a leaving money on the but table. David West was in his mid thirties, right. was chasing a ring. Cousins probably will win a ring this right. year. Yeah, um, and he's in his prime. And I, I, I you got to think that he he's gonna. Take the money, but I, I I do think that if and when that happens, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard. He's it not gonna want to leave. Will, it will be, but you know, there's so much team building by players now. You know, LeBron going and building his team there and and stuff. There's so much of that going on now that that there's a big opportunity for a guy like Cousins to hook on with a couple guys that he knows are superstars and could win somewhere else. So that kind of works against the Warriors in terms of keeping things together. But but it, it is maybe we're too fanboy here in, in the city because we see these guys and everything. When you look at this team, you got to spend like eight months of the year with these guys. Right. It's a pretty special group, you know? Like, yeah. Is there anybody in the world that doesn't like Clay Thompson? Is there anyone in the world that thinks that Steph Curry's a jerk? Uh, <laughs> is Andre Iguodala a bad guy to hang around with? Sean Livingston. You get this, these guys, it's just, uh, it would be a huge, it would be a huge lure. And I could see it. I could, it's a fantasy, but I could see Cousins doing it. Okay. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> Breaking some news on the podcast. Scott Osler, the the much revered Scott Osler, thinks that DeMarcus Cousins is going to be a, a warrior long term. Um, <laughs> right after you said that there's a 3% chance uh, right. that he would come right. back. So, uh, During this podcast, I've actually bumped it up to 37%. So how's that? Okay. Well, you know, there you go. Um, Scott, I appreciate you joining me. I want to thank Steph also for sitting down with me earlier, um, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep this locked and loaded. We're we're trying to do this every week. Uh, we'll continue to have players and coaches on uh, on a regular basis. I want to thank Steph and Scott for joining me on this week's podcast. Always great catching up with those two. Warriors Off Court is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor in chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcast. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron and email me at cleturno at sfchronicle.com. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.